0: This episode is brought to you by Marketing Relevance, a full-service marketing, communication, and interactive company that increases sales for clients through traditional and interactive methods. Now, stand by for Chris Brogan. Good morning and welcome back to Intrepid Radio. I am your host, Todd Schnick, joined today by a gentleman who most of you, I'm sure, know of and are very aware about, probably have read one or more of his books, uh, but we're here today today. Not to talk about his New York Times best selling books or to talk about social media or any of that technology kind of stuff. We're talking today about humans and bravery. And it's a subject that I think is pertinent to everybody listening to this show and, frankly, everybody not listening to this show. Uh, say hello to my friend, Chris Brogan. He's the CEO and president of Human Business Works and best selling author of Trust Agents and the Impact Equation. Welcome back to the show, Chris.
1: But I'm thrilled. And you know, Intrepid, by the way, is synonymous with fearless and adventurous. So talking about bravery intrepid is a synonym so I'm thrilled to talk about that with you
0: well you know Chris that's why I named my company after that uh, because I wanted people to become fearless intrepid marketers and and not be afraid to not get out there and be willing to try some new things so the message that you have in your latest project is very much in alignment with what we're trying to talk about here and what the purpose of the show is and so I thought today we wouldn't get into a lot of formal gobbledygook we just uh, we would just get into talking talking. talking about bravery. So uh, the latest book is called, It's Not About the Tights, an Owner's Manual on Bravery. You know, Chris, part of me was thrilled to get this book because the message needs to be heard. But I'm also sad that we still have to talk about this.
1: Oh, but you know, every day it happens. Every day, there's some kind of a circumstance. For instance, this fellow says to me, you know, I'm thinking about starting a community for people who are interested in this kind of particular piece of code writing that he does. And he says, I'm just thinking about it. I'm not sure if it'll work or whatever. I said, here's a hint. Start and then see what happens. Because you're not going to learn anymore just by thinking about it. Why not just make the community? And if people don't show up, think around and go, well, gee, why aren't people showing up? And kind of work from that angle. I think, you know, the, the concept in the book is basically that there's four aspects that we need to work on, act, you know, actively to work on our bravery. And those are confidence, acceptance, permission, and the ability to execute, and that spells CAPE. And, and my premise was just, there's so many people that are struggling with two or more of those elements, and if I could help just give sort of a, a working recipe book of what you could do to do that, then more people can take action, but so many of us are sort of in a waiting for mode, don't you think? Absolutely, and that's what and that boggles my mind, Chris. Uh, and I don't know that we'll ever
0: solve that mystery or crack that code. But and as you as you disclose fully in your book, and, and as others who talk about this this idea of of overcoming fear and bravery, we always say the same things, right? It's it's about taking action. It's about doing. It's about giving yourself permission. These are not new concepts. How come people are still paralyzed by these kinds of of in I
1: don't, I just don't understand it. Do you have a you have a sense? Is it is it a cultural thing? So it's magic, Todd. But uh, ever hey. since the late nineteen forties the entire system of this country, the US, and it's true in other countries, but the US for damn sure, was built around the notion that after industrialization came, we needed to build industrialized humans, which meant we needed to strip away all of the entrepreneurial and outlying mindsets that existed because we needed you to do a very specific job a very specific way. Think about how your schooling went. All mainstream schooling says you must know the same thing as the guy sitting beside you. You must all pass in the same little cluster as all the kids around you. And so what the, the whole process is saying, there's no room for your orange to be darker than my orange. There's no room for your cucumber to taste a little uh, sparkier than mine and yours is a little softer. You know, it all has to be the same. So the food we eat looks identical. The the st- schools we go to teach us identical things. The jobs in Cubicleville were supposed to be all identical. The problem is that system broke in a great way. The industrial age is over. Most industry went overseas. Most of the jobs that require that kind of rote experience have been downplayed to other places. What's left is a bunch of people going, oh, crap. I'm a robot not doing the job I was programmed to do. Now what? And that's that's really what I think has everybody in a in a cluster is because everyone's thinking – all my life I was told if I just do these things I'll be taken care of. I mean my parents generation was told just do your job and shut up and you will be handled. My mom a few months away from retirement the company uh, let her go knowing it was a few months from retirement and simply to save the money. So they they chopped her you know the larger part of her benefits away a few months from you know giving dedicated and loyal service. So loyalty in the in the corporate system is gone. The industrial uh, world around us is a big mess and what's left is Now what? And now what is we have to reprogram ourselves to be autonomous individual thinkers, even if we're going to work in clusters with others.
0: Well, we could talk all day long, Chris, about the tools that now exist and the digital tools, the social tools that now make it so much easier for people to break out of that industrial mindset. But I think that would be a waste of time because because we I think we have to talk about the mindset because I think that still needs an awful lot of work. Uh, there, there's a, You mentioned your Concept, and I do want to go through that in a little more depth in a minute. But there's a line in the book that I think is is was the forehead smack line for me. It's your bravery is yours to claim, and I think. That that in and of itself is a scary statement, because a lot of people are afraid to go out there and stake their claim and, and, and all that. Talk about what you see as the definition of bravery.
1: Uh, so one of the things I read, I think I might have put the quote at the very beginning of the book, too, is uh, Chagyam Trungpa Rinpoche, who's this uh, guy who brought the Shambhala lineage of Buddhism to the U.S. He said, basically, it, it was something to the tune of, bravery is actually believing in yourself and, and, and being true to who you really are as opposed to what you want to be. And th- there's, there's some part of that. When it comes to this, this thing of claiming your own bravery, I, I think that, I think we're just sort of awaiting instructions. We're just forever thinking, well, no one said I should do that, or no one's come and told me this is what my new role should be. And again, it just sort of feels like we're, we're robots waiting for a new program. And once we realize that we could be the programmer, once we realize that we could write the story, once we start accepting, and that's the permission part of the cape, once we start thinking about permission and granting it to ourselves, you claim your own crown. Once you claim your own crown and take ownership of what you're going to do next, uh, the whole world changes, Todd. You know, no one said to you, you should start a radio show. You thought, huh? I could probably do this. I, I don't know. I'll figure it out. I'll get the materials. I have a good voice. I'll do it, and you know, you work from there. No one t- told you. Well, you're not really a, a skilled interviewer. You just figured it out, and all of the things that you and I have done to succeed have all come from that place of, well, I could probably figure this out. Part luck, part magic, part persistence. A great deal of persistence. And then just the fact that no one told us we couldn't, so we just did.
0: Right. Well, you and I are both the first to admit that there's better podcasters out there, but I think both you and I would also say that we have confidence in doing this. Uh, talk about confidence a bit. That's obviously the, the first step in this CAPE concept.
1: Sure. Well, so there's two parts to confidence. One is taking small risks and the other one is kind of doing something before you're slightly ready to do it. Practice goes into confidence, and then taking some risks. And a lot of times with confidence, where we go a little awry is we just think we're not going to we're not going to make it. You know, we think, oh, you know, I, I just don't know how to do this thing. We have these built-in systems as humans that say, when we go into someplace foreign, we're going to look for that thing that's familiar to us. We're going to take any concepts that we already understand, and we're going to try to move those forward. And once we do that, if it works, we go, huh. If it fails, and this is the trickiest part about confidence, what you can learn from failure is how you can move forward faster or slower. Um, I actually just read this quote in a Cory Doctorow book, a fiction book called um, Pirate Cinema, where he said, one of the characters whose name was Jem said, uh, fail three times as much to get two times as much success. So that you, know, if, you if you spend more time working on failing, you'll get there faster. And, and to your point, Todd, I am a lot more confident than some people. And, and what I've always thought about when it comes to being you know, good at something, like I consider myself a good writer. I, I love podcasting. I don't know that I'm a great podcaster, but I love doing it. I know that I'm a hell of a lot better than the person who hasn't started yet. And I know right. I'm a much better author than the guy who's got a bunch of book ideas, who's pouring a latte for me, uh, because I've written five books and I've got more coming. So, it, you know, Zane Gray was this this Westerns author. He wrote all these Western fiction books that were hugely popular a couple generations ago and now no one in their right mind reads them unless they're, you know, kind of longing for the, the past. You know, my grandfather used to read them all the time. My grandfather on my mom's side... And he wrote tons of them. I once finally read an interview with Zane Gray. He said, I can pretty much write the same story over and over again. People don't care. They just want to read a nice Western. He goes, I'm not the best writer. I'm just a prolific writer. And that's what people are buying. You
0: say that bravery is action. I mean it's really and that's confidence too, right? I mean confident how many I mean how many of us listening there's a task or a project or or some something that we have to do and we and we drag our feet in doing it because we're just unsure of how it's going to turn out. Or we don't really know how we're going to do it, but once you once you start all that goes away, right? I mean it, it confidence is I almost think confidence is more just about starting.
1: Oh, always. Always that. You know, in 2006, when we launched the first ever PodCamp, for the first year plus of doing PodCamp, which was this event that Christopher Penn and I started to get people into podcasting, blogging, and video blogging, open source the idea and let everybody build their own. So when we'd show up to PodCamp, one of the things that Chris and I would say in our own different ways was just the same thing. Just press record because it was amazing how many people just couldn't even get off the gate you know they just couldn't do it i shook a guy up enough to to make him start his own blog last week and he was saying to me well you know i'm thinking about blogging i don't know and what i tell a lot of times to people is if you're thinking about it you're not doing it the word should means i'm not going to i tend to push people over their edge because i think that once you try it you might then find out you hate it but, you, but you're not going to know until you try. It's just like getting kids to try food, right? So I don't know. I think there's a lot of experiences like this. And, and you know, to your typical uh, storyline here where we talk about intrepid marketing and, tr- and making good media and all that, you have to take risks. If you're showing me a video today of the Harlem Shake, which came out a week and a half ago, or worse, you're showing me a Gangnam-style video that your, your great PR company made, it's terrifying. Because you know there's already been thousands of them. So if if you're not trying something new, if you're not trying your own swing at something, it's just not going to be pleasant for anybody.
0: We'll be back with Chris Brogan after this short commercial break. When was the last time you browsed the web from your mobile phone? With more consumers than ever searching for your business on the go, it's important that you make a great first impression. Make sure your website is making the most of your mobile presence with content designed uniquely for smartphones and tablets. Get started with the team at Marketing Relevance today. Call 770 383 3360 or visit MarketingRelevance.com when i was uh first understanding your cape concept which is confidence acceptance permission and execution i understood confidence permission and execution but acceptance was an interesting thought-provoking part of this talk about what that really means
1: A- acceptance is two parts as well one of them is accepting where you really are we tend to do this thing where we talk about we either very falsely accept where we are or we uh, think about either the future or the past. So sometimes people want to get back to their high school size. Sometimes people want to be making more money because they figured on their trajectory, I'm this age, I should be worth this much money. Acceptance just says, well, here's where you are. That's part one. The other part is acceptance isn't forgiveness, but you have to accept sort of a yes and mindset, which is like uh, improv acting. You have to say, yes, I had a crappy childhood. Uh, Yes, I was abused. Yes, my boss did this. Yes, uh, my husband left me and I still have to do something. And the and is where everyone seems to fall down because a lot of times we allow our past to be our reason why not. You know, um, my girlfriend Jacqueline did this thing with me where uh, I was labeled clinically depressed uh, and by a shrink. And so I would use that all the time. I'd be like, well, I'm clinically depressed. So that's how it is. But you know, it became with this mindset of acceptance, I'm clinically depressed and I still have work to do. I'm clinically depressed and I really can't find myself any kind of a excuse anymore. I just have to work ahead. So so acceptance is one of the trickiest parts of the whole book. I'll tell you that right now. And yet it's the most important part because that's where, you know, if your gas gauge is set on empty, but it's really that you've got an extra five gallons, you have to accept that. If your gas gauge is set on a quarter tank and you, you realize that you're going to run out of gas anyway because it's broken. The, the gauge isn't the reality. You have to accept what's reality. And I think a lot of times that's where we fall into a problem.
0: Well, I'm on a lifelong mission, Chris, to solve the riddle of why most people don't take action, why most people don't, don't start. And, and it was understanding and thinking about this acceptance section and the burdens that I think weigh so many people down with, with what you talked about as regret. I mean, letting go of regret seems to be a, a very important concept in in this book. And what I think holds a lot of people back, I think they're just consumed with it.
1: Oh, absolutely. I, I think that it's amazing how much time we spend on regret. It's it's like uh, the weirdest thing is we teach kids not to regret, right? If a kid drops an ice cream cone and they start crying, you go, oh, don't worry, we'll get you another ice cream cone. We as humans, we sit around and stare at the ice cream cone for, for years, if you if we fall if a little kid falls down when you're teaching them how to walk you say get up the kid gets up you weren't hurt you're fine keep going when a human you know a grown up falls down we think about it for years so I mean regret is just a dopey thing it's just this 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 chunk of reaction that we we cling to because it allows us a system. To have reasons why not to do even more
0: thinking of a timely example i mean i don't know if you watched the oscars that were just aired this last weekend but jennifer lawrence the lady who won the best actress so when she was walking up on stage she fell and tripped and you could make the case that that could poison her whole career because she'll always regret that she that she ate it walking up to claim her statue what what we're saying here is boy make, have fun with it. Say, boy, you'll never forget me. Uh, and, and you'll never, you'll never forget this Oscars because of, of me wiping out on my ass. I mean, it, 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 it is being able to handle and let go of regret is, is a really, really critical mindset.
1: You know, she's on the way to receiving that best actress Oscar statue that very few people get that, you know, no one, we don't know anyone else who has an Oscar. I know a few people who have Grammys, but You know what? If I were walking up the stage and I tripped and I had explosive diarrhea and my dress set on fire, I'd still be receiving the best actress Oscar. Right. So I'm not going to regret that that much. And, you know, really, you can own it and you can just sort of decide you're going to be that kind of person who, you know, says that's that's part of me. Chris, uh, a big focus for you in
0: in your business, and, and I've known you long enough now that I've had the fun of kind of watching you evolve and watching your focuses change. Uh, this, but this real key focus on the human side of business to me is where I still think a lot of people haven't been able to shift out of that industrial robotic mindset, and and until they can, uh, until they can start treating the world around them. As a human being, and like human beings, they're not going to—they're not going to be able to function in a way that you're that you're promoting in this book. And I still think that all boils down to this whole notion of accepting, of, of acceptance, of where you are and and where you're going. My 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 worry is a lot of people don't accept where they are, uh, maybe because they're not really sure where they want to go. How
1: big of a problem is that? It's a pretty big problem. I mean, that's like saying you have the best GPS in the world but you don't really have a destination plugged into it. You could drive around all you want. You wouldn't really know the quality of the GPS because you haven't really told it to take you anywhere. And with with our lives, again, it just keeps bouncing to me in the head of this this mindset of programming. If your life is laid out for you, you tend to go, oh, I think I will follow this path. And as if you deviate from the path, you realize that something is awry. When you have to make your own channel and make your own path, very few people actually take the time to write it down. If you, and, and that's the stress in the book, It's Not About the Tights. I stress repeatedly, get a notebook, write it down, stop reading for a minute, go write this down. And the reason I'm doing that, Todd, is that because if you, ha- if you were armed with a bunch of documents that said where you intended to go, then you're going to have a lot more success in getting there. But so few people do that. Sometimes people will get out of the cage, say, oh my gosh, I'm out of corporate America. And then they'll be sitting at home tweeting and Facebooking and calling their friends going, I don't know why I'm not making any money. And it's because they didn't, you know, in corporate America, there was a process. It said, you must do this. Now you should do this. The other reason people won't stick to it, uh, quite likely, is that they don't figure out any sense of metrics. And that's built into the book as well, especially talking in the execution chapter, is that you have to have some sense of metrics. You have to have some way to measure what you're doing. Otherwise, you won't know if you're any more or less successful. If you say, I'm going to just get healthy by getting out and walking, well, that's great. But if you just walk from your front door to your back door, that probably won't cover it. So you have to kind of measure how far you want to get. Well, on
0: that topic, Chris, you talk a lot about kind of rethinking how to set and give yourself your own rewards. Talk about that a little bit.
1: Yeah, so the other two things that we don't have a lot in life are rewards and feedback. And if we are the one creating the system, It's kind of like when you realize when you grow up and you are suddenly responsible for making some version of the holidays happen. Uh, I was raised in my family when I was living in Maine. My family, there was a set cadence to the holidays. You know, we went to my grandmother's for Thanksgiving. We knew what we were going to have. We knew like the 20 something dishes that were going to hit the table. We knew who was going to be around the table. Christmas time, we'd visit all these various families in sort of the set order, blah, blah, blah. When you are responsible for making it yourself, there's that day where you kind of look around and go, oh, that's weird. There's no Christmas dinner. I guess I had to cook that. And so rewards and feedback, you have to come up with systems that give you a way to measure what you're doing. As I'm working on my fitness, uh, Jacqueline said to me, you've got to throw away the scale. Scales are a horrible way to measure yourself because you know if you're gaining muscle, then muscle weighs more than fat, so you won't see the scale number move, so you'll be all depressed that you didn't lose any weight or something like that. And there's just better ways to do it. So instead, my feedback system is I, I take clothes out of my closet that aren't fitting me very well and I see if I can fit them any better. And it's a much simpler way to get the reward because then I know, or the feedback, because then I know, oh, well, if this shirt is feeling like it fits a little better, then I know that I'm losing the weight I need to lose and gaining the muscle and things are going the right way. With everything we do, that's the question we have to ask ourselves, is what feedback do we need to have in place to know it's working? So if you start your own business... How do you know you're getting clients? Well, it's pretty easy to know you don't have any clients because your bills stop getting paid. Uh, If you need to start figuring out new ways to measure prospecting or something like that, it could be as simple as how many subscribers to my newsletter, how many people clicked on my little request or my offer, how many people said, yes, I'd love to book an appointment. Maybe you judge it by booking for your uh, process to close the deal. But that feedback that needs the reward and and what we tend to do very poorly as humans is reward ourselves when we should and to me but isn't that the
0: problem though chris is i think most people are still thinking that they can only get rewards from other people whereas in the book you say you can set your own rewards
1: right well yeah i mean and that goes again with permission if you don't claim the the system to give yourself your permission then you're then you're doomed to be hoping that someone shows up like the magical fairy and says here's your reward But, you know, I I think that you you could start picking what your rewards are. I mean, you could say, if I close this kind of a deal, I'm going to take 20% of the money out of this deal and I'm going to put it towards something that I normally wouldn't buy myself. I mean, that's kind of the... That's a financial way to do a reward. There's so many other ways to do it. You could say, you know, if I close a deal today, I'm going to take the afternoon off tomorrow and just kind of relax. You could pick whatever you want. I mean, it doesn't have to be something financial, but it does have to be something that means a little something to you. And it means that you've got to, you know, make a reward that doesn't actually go counter to your plans. Like if you're working on fitness and you say, I'm going to eat really great all week and the reward will be a chocolate cake. That's not exactly right. uh, going to help you with your goal.
0: Well, the, a line from the book that resonated with me and uh, is this uh, permission is ours to give and, and you don't have to wait wait on it from other people. Talk about the concept of an owner versus an observer.
1: This is probably the most central point to everything that I've been thinking about for the last few years. And it, and it does tie to the permission idea. There are a lot of people who either own their their experience and own their existence and own what they're doing and own their business or they're part of a business. And then there's people who observe, and people who observe. I mean, if you've ever uh, worked retail or like you know your high school job experience and stuff like that, there are those people who come in and work like they own the place, and they may not. They might be making the same dollars per hour that you are. And then there's those people that sit there just kind of waiting for the clock to tick, and check back out at the end of it all. And they're more like the observer. The owners are the people who go somewhere. I'll tell you a really great example that I heard a million years ago. Colin Powell who went on to be U.S. Secretary of State, but who was also the Chairman of the United States Joint Chiefs of Staff and did a lot of great things before he bounced against George W.'s bad side. Colin Powell was working in Atlanta at the uh, Coca-Cola plant, and at the time that the CEO ran into him one day, it was when Colin Powell was pushing him up. And the CEO or whoever it was just stared for a while at him and thought, man, this guy is really doing his job. Like, he is really mopping that floor as if this is the best thing in the world. And so he asked him about it. And he said, well, this is the job that's in front of me. Of course, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to work, you know, hard. And so he got a promotion right then and there. He went right through the ranks. He became leadership there. And he just applied that same kind of skill set to everything he did. To me, that owner's mind, that idea that this is what I own right now and I'm going to work it, it comes even before that. In the 90s for me, Tom uh, Peters wrote this thing called You Are the CEO of You and I took that to heart, and I was a guy working a cubicle, but the day after, I was a guy who owned my process and who owned my cubicle, and then my entire business life changed right
0: now. Well, after. that was the point I was just going to make. Uh, if I understand the, the Chris Brogan timeline, when that when that mindset shift happened is when everything pivoted and, and changed for you, right? Exactly,
1: and and it's so palpable. I mean, people try to ask, you know, where's that line that changed your life, and it never works that way. There's lots of lines that change your life, but for sure. The day that I realized that I was the one writing the book, the day that I realized that I was the one writing every page of my life was the day I realized, oh, well, then I guess I probably shouldn't wait around for people to give me a better life. I guess I should write a better life. And that really literally in, involved paper and pen because once I started saying, well, this is what I want out of my job, this is what I want out of my my plans, every time I write something down, it actually comes to, to happen. It doesn't always come the way I want it to, but it always comes to happen. And I think that that's just... Committing to that process to letting go of things that you have to let go of and just really accepting where I am and I think that Through that comes confidence and through execution comes the, the, re, re, the Sort of repeat of the cycle and that's where I got to where I got well Chris uh,
0: Running low on time, but to close is the simple message of this book It's not about someone else helping you and doing it for you and giving you permission It's about being your own superhero. Yes
1: Absolutely. You are the superhero that you've been waiting for. Uh, right after nine eleven, the the whole U.S. just sort of looked around at each other like, oh, wait a minute, is the government going to fix this? Oh, not really, not right away. Is the corporation going to fix this? Nope, not so much. And then we saw that at Hurricane Katrina. The government didn't fix Katrina faster than Walmart did, and even Walmart was you know slow on the go. And no blame applied there, just we are our own superhero. You have to do the job. And so to me, that's the only way we're going to get to where we want to go. Well, and that's
0: what this book, it's not about the tights An owner's manual on bravery is the, is the whole point of that to help you understand that concept. So Chris, uh, we're, we're out of time. Uh, it was wonderful to spend a few minutes with you before I let you go. How can people, Oh, I know what else I wanted to do. Uh, uh, talk quickly about uh, your your course, Brave New Year.
1: Oh well, so Brave New Year is something that expands out of it's not about the tights. In fact, the course came first, and I thought, well, you know, if you buy the ebook and you like it, I'll give you the money back if you buy the course. It's a it's an eight week course. It's ninety seven dollars, so it's not a whole lot of money uh, spread across eight weeks. It's a, like a latte and a half. And what the concept is is that it's a way to set goals. It's a way to understand. Uh, how to build a vision and then a plan. And then what's probably the most valuable part of the course is the community of support. So there's over 150 and growing rapidly uh, people who are really interested in trying to figure out these things together. And now they're building all kinds of little sub-communities inside my little online space helping each other. So they're helping each other with everything from web design to legal stuff to fitness advice. It's just crazy. But it's a whole bunch of people who have committed to this idea that they're going to hold on to their own cape and just take the world on.
0: Outstanding. Chris, how can people get in touch with you and learn more about your work?
1: Well, just swing by chrisbrogan.com. And if you want to look at the book, go to chrisbrogan.com slash no tights, and you can take a look at it there.
0: All right. It's Not About the Tights, an owner's manual on bravery, the latest work from Chris Brogan, also the CEO and president of Human Business Works and bestselling author Chris. As always, it was a
1: pleasure to spend some time with you.
0: Todd, you're a hero. Thank you. All right. Well, that wraps this episode. On behalf of my guest, Chris Brogan, I'm Todd Schnick. We'll see you next time on Intrepid Radio.